Okay, let's get to the word. You know, being a pastor, you, know, you, you never know what hat you may wear. You never know what your duties may include. Uh, one day, I may be fixing a toilet or catching a skunk. Both of those which actually happened this week. That's not an exaggeration. The, the next day, I could be studying the Word or visiting someone who's dying in a hospital. You never know what hat you're going to wear. That just comes with it. But to me, it doesn't matter. I'll do it. Why? Because I love the ministry. Okay? I don't care what I have to do. I'll do it because I love it. I just f- fixed a light bulb. There's a light bulb up there almost above the sound booth. Probably... 18, 19, 20 feet in the air. I just fixed that a week ago or so. Uh, Not out of drudgery, but it bothered me. There was one light bulb in all this sanctuary that didn't work, and it kept bothering me. And because I love this building so much, I figured out a way to get that bulb changed because I love this building. This is a very beautiful sanctuary, isn't it? Would you agree with me? We, We try and take care of this sanctuary. Okay? Now listen. I like the the purple-on-purple color scheme that my mom and dad picked out many years ago, molded after the colors in the tabernacle. Always thought it was very beautiful. Uh, I I like all of our band equipment up here. I think it's all awesome and what the band can do. I like all of our instruments, all the things that we use to worship the Lord. I even like the stripes that our cleaning ladies make when they come and they sweep the floors. Many times I come in here through the week and... They have just freshly swept, and there's these neat stripes all over the carpet. And I walk on the edges because I don't want to walk and mess these stripes up. They're so pretty to me. Just a pretty building. I love the building. I love this church, this ministry. I I really like this glass pulpit. It was expensive. I like the etching in the glass. I like the, the lion and the lamb and how it says Jesus is the blessed hope and has a little logo on it. I think his pulpit's very beautiful and neat. Always thought it was neat. I like our classrooms. A few months ago, a big team of us came and painted them and rearranged them and made all kinds of changes, and I like our classrooms. I like all of our paintings that we have throughout the building. If you go and look out in the lobby, you'll see paintings, very beautiful, Thomas Kincaid paintings. We have a neat tapestry-like thing woven of, of Jesus with the Lamb that says, Lost No More. If you pay attention, you'll see some of these things throughout our building. Very beautiful. I like that big, neat wooden banner that hangs above the welcome center that says, To all the living there is hope. It's a quote from Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Oh, that thing's neat. I look at it all the time. Very beautiful. I like our fellowship hall where we've been doing our classes. To me, we've been digging into the Word a little bit over there in our fellowship hall. And I like the, the, how we remodeled it several years ago and all the lighting that we have in there, the atmosphere that it is. I love the fellowship hall, the classes that we do, and the, the fellowship, the, the luncheon we'll have after church today. I love all that stuff. Love this building. To me, it's a very beautiful building. It's a very pretty sanctuary. With one exception. There's there's one thing. Everything else is so pretty. The flowers. the, The color scheme. There's one thing in here that does not seem to match the flow of the rest of this building. 
That's that cross over there. It, it, it doesn't seem to match the flow of the rest of the decor in this church. Uh, it, it, to me, it stands in stark contrast to the rest of this building, to the beauty of the rest of this building. Now, I need a couple help from a gentleman, Phil and Chris, if you'll please come. I'd like to t- I've asked these guys to move this cross this morning. I want to get a little closer look at this cross this morning. Hopefully, there's no injuries that occur in this process. I tried to get a couple of taller guys and like to take a closer examination of this cross. Give them just a moment to bring that thing over here. To me, this, this cross actually clashes with the rest of the beauty in this sanctuary. Let me explain what I mean by that. Thank you, gentlemen. I appreciate it. No one was injured in the process. No one inadvertently wore the crown of thorns. Those things are sharp. That's perfect. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you, gentlemen. This cross clashes with the rest of the flow in this building. If you look at this cross, it has blood stains on it. Okay, if there's blood stains anywhere else in here, we're going to clean them up. We're going to use carpet cleaner and clean them up. Why are they okay to have blood stains on this? If we had blood stains on the wall somewhere else, we're going to clean them up and paint over them and clean them, keep it clean. Yet this thing has blood stains upon it. I mean, if you, you look at this thing, it's a bit of an eyesore if you compare it to one of the Thomas Kincaid paintings that we have out there. If I took that painting and sat it here, very beautiful artwork compared to this thing. It clashes. If I, if I brought the tapestry that I mentioned, I don't know how many of you have ever seen it, but it's a picture of Jesus with a staff and a little lamb, and it says, Lost No More. It's very beautiful hanging on the wall. On your way out on the left, if you go out the front doors, you'll see it hanging on the wall. Very beautiful. If I had it in my hands this morning compared against this cross, this thing just sticks out like some sort of sore thumb. I mean, if you could compare this thing to the elegant LED chandelier that we have over in the fellowship hall. That thing costed a lot of money. We're able to dim it and set an atmosphere in there. It's very beautiful. Sheds beautiful light. Compared to this thing here, this thing doesn't seem to go with the rest of the building. If you look close enough, upon examination, you can see there's nail holes in it where someone was violently nailed to it. You know, that, that's not really the aura or the atmosphere that we're going for here at New Hope. We want folks to come and feel welcome here at New Hope. Not look at violent instrumentations of death. If we want new folks to come, I, I want to see this church filled up, but I'm not too sure if this tree here with blood stains on it and a crown of thorn is going to make people feel very comfortable or welcome. It's not going to appear very attractive. 
Now the flowers and the, the pretty colors, they are, but then you have this thing. If you look at the lumber that it's made of, if I rub my hand up and down it very hard, I'm liable to get a splinter. If one of our children runs around and they happen to touch this cross, they could get a splinter because it's rough cut lumber. You know, that's dangerous. Maybe we should sand it down a little bit and polyurethane and get those blood stains off of it and make it a little more visually aesthetic so that it's not such an eyesore. You know, come to think of it, why is it that we keep this cross in the sanctuary? Why has we not taken it? We've had this cross forever and ever, even before we had this building, yet it still stands. Other pictures we've put up and taken down. Put this decoration up, taken it down. Put this flower up, taken it down. How come this thing keeps staying up and we haven't stored it up on the mezzanine somewhere and hung our choir robes on it? Not only is it kept in the sanctuary, but it's kept up on stage for all to see, almost as though we're displaying this cross in front of everyone. After all, this cross, listen, it's representative of sinners, thieves, and murderers. That's what it represents. It represents shame and guilt. It is the emblem of suffering and shame. That's what it represents. It represents a, it's a portrayal of reproach and disgrace. I had a buddy years ago I used to work with, and I just saw him the other day, and I've been thinking about him, and then I thought about this, and he came to me, he used to talk about the Lord with him. And one day I saw him at work, the first time I saw him that day, he came up and said, hey, hey, Senzo, he used to call me Senzo, he'd say, I told you that Jesus wasn't nothing. I said, what do you mean? He said, there ain't anything special about Jesus. I said, okay, let's hear it. He said, well, you say he died on this cross, right? I said, yeah. He said, well, there wasn't anything special about the cross. I said, well, let me hear what you have to say. He said, I Googled it. I looked. You can look. You can do research. He said, thousands of people died upon the cross. It wasn't just Jesus. It wasn't, he wasn't just some sort of special character. He said, the Romans would crucify people. That's how they did it. There wasn't anything special about Jesus. You know what, the cross does represent sinners, thieves, murderers, people who are guilty, criminals. Even my buddy knew that. So why is it we would display something that represents all of those things? We're trying to be good here and righteous. Why is it then that we would display something that represents those characteristics so prominently? All I know is by looking at it, it doesn't match the rest of the decor in this building. What is the significance of these couple pieces of perpendicular timber? Why is it that we keep this cross in view? Why is it displayed up on stage for all to see? What does the cross mean? What does the cross mean that we display it so conspicuously? I believe, to clearly understand what the cross means. We have to go way back before the cross. We've got to start with the law of God, okay? Now, I've got to take you on a little bit of a journey here, so bear with me. To understand 
what this cross means. We have to go way back and start with God's law. God's standard of conduct for mankind. Okay? What are the expectations from God on mankind? His law. To understand a cross, we start with a law. Way back, and many of you know this, way back in Exodus chapter 20, we have the Ten Commandments. Two stone tablets written by the finger of God, it says in Deuteronomy, the Ten Commandments. In the subsequent chapters after Exodus 20, we have all kinds of other various laws given from God to mankind through Moses. All kinds of laws, actually hundred of them, I think six plus hundred laws. The law of God on His people. You have to obey this. This is my law. If you dig around and look around at all in the book of Leviticus, the book of Leviticus is written, it's the Levitical law. Leviticus, Levites. The Levites were the priestly people. They, were the, they had the priestly duties for all the tribes of Israel. And God gave them all kinds of laws and commands and ordinances to follow. The law of God. That's what the book of Leviticus is all about. There's hundreds of laws that God gave to mankind. But for the sake of keeping things to the point and simple, let's just take our Ten Commandments that God gave to Moses on Mount Sinai. Okay? Number one, thou shalt now have no other gods before me. Two, no graven images. Three, don't take the Lord's name in vain. Four, remember the Sabbath, keep it holy. Five, honor your mother and your father. Six, don't kill. Seven, don't commit adultery. Eight, don't steal. Nine, don't lie. And ten, don't covet. Those ten commandments, okay? Regardless of all the other hundreds of laws that God actually gave mankind, his people, let's just look and focus at those ten commandments. Do we have anyone in here that has never broken a single one of them laws? If so, wave your hand. But don't just wave it. Stand up and proudly say it because that's quite an accomplishment if you have never broken one of those Ten Commandments. But before, if you think you're a candidate, before you jump up and flail your arm around and say, me, me, let me read to you a scripture. Romans 3.19 says, Now we know that what things soever the law says, it says to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. What that's saying is, no one can wave their hand up and flail it all around and say, me, me, I have kept those Ten Commandments my whole life. I am not guilty of breaking those Ten Commandments. Romans says, actually that all mouths may be stopped. It's saying, close your mouth. You're guilty before God. You are guilty of breaking God's laws that He gave to mankind. Now, to make things worse, we have Jesus comes along, okay? In his Sermon on the Mount, I've actually preached about this numerous times lately. I won't go over all of it again. But Jesus comes and he takes God's law, which says thou shalt not do this and that, and he elevates it, making it impossible for us to obey this law. 
he raises the bar even more. If you remember, I actually mentioned it last week. I'll mention one of the things I read last week. It says, You have heard that it has been said, Thou shalt not commit adultery, but I say unto you, Whosoever looks on a woman with lust has already committed in, in her heart. So you take me, for example, I have not physically committed adultery against my wife and against the Lord. I have not been with any other women. So you could say, you could make the argument, Jason has not committed adultery. And then Jesus comes along and he says, eh, that's not the standard. It's clear up here. Jesus, you make it impossible for me. You made it impossible now. I was doing okay, now it's impossible. He elevates this law. Now, I won't go through all of them, but remember, in Jesus, look it up at your, for yourself in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. He says over and over, you have heard that it has been said, but I say unto you, he's elevating this law. He makes it impossible to be good in God's eyes with his Sermon on the Mount. Makes it impossible. The law was difficult enough, Jesus comes along and makes it impossible. Does anyone in here ever remember Jesus' altercation with the rich young ruler? Here's an example of the impossibility of keeping the law. Matthew chapter 19 verse 16 says, And behold, one came and said unto him, Good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And he said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good. But one, that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. And he said unto him, Which? Jesus said, Thou shalt do no murder. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Honor your mother and your father. And thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And the young man said unto him, All, things, all these things have I kept from my youth up. What lack I? Jesus said unto him, If thou wilt be perfect, Actually, if you read this in Mark, Jesus, it says Jesus beholds him and loved him. It says, if thou wilt be perfect, go and sell what thou hast to give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Oh, I like to read about the rich young ruler over and over. It never gets old to me. But if you look at what transpires here, you have this young man who comes to Christ. He desires a good thing. He desires eternal life. He even acknowledges Jesus as the good master. He's trying to do good. Matter of fact, I'll go out on a limb and say he did better at keeping the law than I have. He, he says, I've done these things from my youth up. And he's got to be in a good state of mind because he says, yet what do I lack? This man knows he lacks something to gain eternal life. He knows he even goes to the right source, Jesus, that can give that eternal life. He's in the right place at the right time asking the right questions. He's trying to do good. He knows Christ has what he lacks, but yet he still goes away empty-handed. All the right ingredients but goes away empty-handed because of his great possessions. The disciples were there, and they beheld. They're, they're watching. The, the, the young ruler says this. 
Jesus says that. And they're, they're watching what's happening. And I like to note their response. Matthew 19, 25 says, And when his disciples heard it, they were exceedingly amazed, saying, Who then can be saved? It's almost like, uh, Jesus, this is impossible. This man here is trying his best to keep the law. Ever since he was little, he's trying, he observes this law. He tries to obey them. He knows he lacks something. He came to you, yet he goes away empty-handed. Who in the world then can be saved, Jesus? You make it impossible to be saved. I just can, they were exceedingly amazed. I can just note their frustration. Jesus makes it impossible to make heaven. The rich young ruler, man, he had all kind of good things going for him. If he can't make it, then who can, these disciples are saying. This dude was a perfect candidate. If he can't make it, Jesus, then who then can be saved? You know, and Jesus, he doesn't assuage their fears. He confirms them. Listen. He actually confirms it by saying, with men, it is not possible. It is not possible to be good in the eyes of God. This rich young ruler had all these great things trying so hard to obey, not to break the law, doing his best. Knew he lacked something, knew Jesus had it. Impossible. It's not possible. To be good in the eyes of God. With men it is impossible to be good. What Jesus is saying that every man, woman, and child since Adam and Eve is a transgressor of the law. That's what he's saying. All of us are guilty transgressors of the law. James chapter 2 verse 10 says for whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point he is guilty of all for he that said don't commit adultery also said do not kill now if thou commit no adultery yet if thou kill thou art become a transgressor of the law just one just break one of those ten commandments whichever one you think is the least if you break it Thou art become, according to the Bible, according to the Word of God, a transgressor of the law. His standard was here. You were measured. I was measured. And we didn't make it. Fell short. Just like the rich young ruler. Fell short. Been trying so hard. Didn't make it. The standard was too high. Just too high. So... Here, mankind finds himself guilty before the eyes of God. Mankind finds himself a transgressor of the law according to the word. You and I are guilty. We have fallen short. Now that begs the question, what happens to a transgressor of the law? Well, Romans chapter 6 verse 23 says, For the wages of sin is death. That's what happens to a transgressor of the law. 
to a sinner. Romans 5.12 says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. That's what happens to a transgressor of the law. That's what you and I inherited from our great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandparents, Adam and Eve. We inherited death from them. When they took that fruit that God says, I, you shall not eat of it. When they took it and both of them ate, she ate, gave it to him, he ate. We inherited the same penalty that they got, death. It is passed on from generations to generations to generations to generations to thousands of years later. We have the same disposition as them. Death has passed upon you now. One man's sin entered into the world. Now death passed upon us all. Why? For all have sinned. There is no one in here that can wait, raise their hand up and say, not me, not me. I have kept the law. All of it. I haven't broke one of it. Little commandments. None of them. That we are. That all mouths may be stopped and that the whole world may be guilty. So, because of mankind's inability, because of my inability, because of your inability to keep the law, death is passed on us. We have the sentence of death on us. We have the curse of death upon us because we cannot keep the law. The law is what God said to obey. Because of our inability to, to do what He said, to never break it, we have this punishment upon us. There's a price on our heads. Well, then we got a problem. See, if you, you care at all about your soul, we got a problem. It, it's not a good state to be in, to have the sentence of death upon you. Not a good position. Not a good place that I want my soul. I don't want my soul to have the sentence of death. Yet it does. It has the sentence of death upon it. So we find ourselves with a problem on our hands. Mankind finds himself with an issue. We got a problem here. I'm a transgressor. In mankind's natural state, he has the sentence of death upon him. So then what can I do? What can I do to avoid this death sentence? What can I do to change the outcome of my life? What can I do to inherit eternal life? Just like the rich young ruler says, what can I do to get eternal life? What do I lack? How can I escape this punishment, God? I, I broke your law. How can I escape this? But what can I do, Lord? I'm guilty. I'll admit it. If we're all honest... I'll admit it, Lord, I broke the law. What do I do now? What do I do now? There is a way, but it requires bloodshed. That's God's price to atone for sin. It's bloodshed. To, to make amends for the sins that we commit, there's got to be bloodshed. Let's go back to the law in Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11. 
This is what God is saying the standard is. God says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood. I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes an atonement for the soul. Blood's got to be shed. Blood atones. Blood makes amendments between man and God. Hebrews 9.22 in the NIV says, In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. If you have sinned, blood's got to be shed. There's got to be bloodshed. Blood has to be shed because of sin. That's God's requirement. That's what the book of Leviticus is all about. The proper ways of doing it. The proper ways to dress and cleanse yourself. All the different atonement offerings you can read about. The peace offering. The sin offering. The offerings of ignorance. All those things you can go and read them. God was very specific in how to do them. And always, always, that sacrifice had to be without blemish. That, that blood sacrifice, you can read it for yourself in Leviticus. Just read the first few chapters and you'll see it. Without blemish, without blemish, without blemish, over and over. If it's a bullock, it's got to be a bullock, a male, without blemish. You look through Leviticus more, it says if you pick a sheep or a goat from the herd, without blemish. Because God set this system up that really it was my blood that should pay for my sins. But God set a system up in the Old Testament that the animal's blood, that this spotless animal's blood could take my place. Okay, so that's the system that he had set up. And only the high priest could go into the most holy place once a year on the day of atonement to make this offering for sins, to cover for the sins of the nation of Israel. You know, not just anyone could go in there. Anyone would walk in there, you would be dead. The, the Spirit of God would come and you'd be dead because you weren't cleansed perfectly. You didn't do everything right like he commanded. You didn't wear everything he told you to command or he commanded you to wear. You couldn't just walk in there. Regular Joes like you and I, we couldn't go into God and say, Lord, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. No, you'd fall dead just like that. Levi, I'm sorry, Leviticus 16, 16 says, And he shall make, it's talking about the high priest, and he shall make an atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel and because of their transgressions and all their sins. So shall he do for the tabernacle of the congregation that remains among them in the midst of their uncleanness. This is how God's people received atonement back then. The, the, the person that sinned was supposed to play for those sins in blood, but the animals, the spotless animal without blemish, took their place. The animal's blood made amends for their sins. Now, this system wasn't perfect. This, this system they had set up, it was flawed. This system was actually very grievous to them. 
Man, you had to do all kinds of things right. And if you didn't, you could go into this most holy place and be killed. Because the, the holiness presence of the God was so weighty. If you didn't do everything right, you'd fall over dead. They'd pull you out with a rope. It was a flawed system of cleansing. It was very grievous and burdensome to them because these sacrifices, these blood sacrifices, did not cleanse sin. They covered the sin. Okay? They did not cleanse it. It just was a covering for their sin. And and, and on top of that, they didn't cover sins once and for all They had to keep doing this. It's Yom Kippur every day in October or something like that. They had to keep doing it over and over and over every year to keep covering for their sins. They would do these blood sacrifices with a spotless lamb or goat, sheep, bullock, whatever it was. They had to keep doing it over and over. So it was a flawed system. Year after year, they had to keep doing this. Evil sin still persisted. In this system, no matter how many sacrifices the children of God made, this evil still persisted. Sin still persisted. So really, in essence, the problem of sin still remained under this old system. The problem of sin with mankind still remained. Now we're getting close to the reason why I pulled this cross over here. Then, fast forward many years, and Luke 23, 33 happens. Listen now. It says, And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him in the male factors, one on the right hand and one on the left. In other words, Enter the cross. This man named Jesus was crucified, and it says, which is called Calvary, or Golgotha, or the place of the skull, this hill. And they crucified him there. Now, I don't have time this morning to even begin to talk about the crucifixion and do it the justice that it deserves. We can't focus on that lots this morning. We're going to focus on the cross. This Jesus comes on this scene. This perfect, sinless man accused of blasphemy is sentenced to Roman crucifixion. Now, Jesus, which is interesting, he could have called down legions of angels to slaughter. He had the authority to call down legions of angels and say, you ain't going to catch me. You ain't going to put me on the cross. Uh Uh-uh. He could have. So it could be said that because he didn't, he willingly sacrificed himself. He had the authority. He had the power. He had the means. All he had to do was say, angels, take care of all these guards. I'm not going to the cross. It's not going to end this way. It's as though this man, Jesus, allowed himself to be crucified on the cross. 
He allowed Calvary to happen. Philippians 2 verse 8 says, And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Christ sheds his blood upon this cross. So what does that mean then for our problem of sin? I already took a few minutes explaining that there is a problem on our hands. We're transgressors of the law. We have this broken system. Up until the cross, we have this broken system to atone for our sins. But even it can't cleanse them. It only covers them. Up until the cross, all we have is a broken system of atoning for sins. What does the cross mean then for mankind who stands guilty before God? What does the cross mean to me, a transgressor of the law? What does it mean? What does this piece of wood mean to me, a transgressor of the law? Listen, now we're starting to, starting to get to the good stuff now. Romans 5.18 says, Therefore, as by the offenses of one, talking about Adam, Therefore, as by the offenses of one, judgment came unto all men unto condemnation. All of us, because Adam sinned, all of us are condemned to the sentence of death. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. Because of what he did on the cross, one man sinned, and then death passed upon all of us. The sentence, the curse rests upon our shoulders, a heavy burden upon our backs, the sentence of death. We wear it, but yet, Romans tells us, by the righteousness of one, the life that Jesus did, the sacrifice that he made, the humility that he clothed himself with, the Son of God incarnate in the flesh, humbled himself as a man, not only humbled himself, but humbled himself to the unimaginable Torment of the cross. All right, what, what does that mean then? Okay, he died on the cross. What's it mean? Now listen, I think this chunk of Scripture captures everything I'm trying to say this morning to you. Galatians chapter 3, verse 10. And I'll give it to you straight this morning, okay? Here it is. This is what the cross means. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continues not in all the things which are written in the book of the law to do them. You're cursed if you can't obey all the things in the law. Verse 11 says, But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God. It is evident, for the just shall live by faith. Verse 12 says, And the law is not of faith. But the man that doeth them shall live in them. Here we go. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Jesus Christ was made that curse for us. He was cursed on it. He took that heavy burden of the sentence of death on us and he bore it on the cross that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. He took our curse. He became a curse. 
Jesus, through the cross, fixes the broken system of atonement for sins. So that now, you and I can actually be cleansed from our sins. Not just have them covered, but they're cleansed. They're cleansed. This morning, I was... I, this, the cross has been on my mind for a couple of weeks now. Well, to preach about it, it's always on my mind, but to preach about it, it's been on my mind. And this morning I was showering and singing about the cross. And I had to lower my voice a little bit because it started cracking, and my wife might have heard me. Not very manly. But I tell you what, when I think about the cross, then on the way here this morning, I've put on. A, a, a song on my phone and played it through the speakers of my car about the cross. Whew, the cross gets to me. Because of the cross, I'm free of guilt and shame. Amen. The power of the cross breaks the death sentence upon mankind. The work on the cross makes it possible that a man like me can have eternal life. That I don't have to get turned away like the rich young ruler did. He took the curse that was placed on me. He paid my debt. His blood did. Remember the shedding of blood is how we atone for sins. He shed that blood for me on the cross. That's why it means so much to me this morning. If I could ask Rod and the band to make their way... Listen to me now. Calvary dissolves the bondage of sin. The place of the skull. This, everything that this represents. That's why we don't hide this cross on the mezzanine. That's why we display it on the stage for all to see. That's why it hasn't gotten old to us. That's why, though it is ugly, though it does have blood stains, though it doesn't look very good, though you could get a splinter, it's the most beautiful thing that we have ever seen in our entire lives. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but to those who are saved, it is the power of God. How many of you are thankful for the cross this morning? Thank you, Jesus, for the cross. Thank you, Jesus. Does anyone else agree with me this morning that the cross is beautiful? The cross is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in my life because it took my guilt, my shame, my punishment. I should have paid with my blood. But Jesus made a way. He fixed the whole broken system of atonement for sins once and for all so that now I am cleansed. <laughs>